Welcome to the Monday Lorians, a podcast where a bunch of Star Wars fans get together for a chat every Monday discussing the latest episode of the new Star Wars animated series, The Bad Batch. Today we're going to be looking at the fourth episode titled Cornered, written by Christian Taylor and directed by Saul Ruiz. I'm your host, Jay Cart. I'm a podcaster, sound designer, and a writer on Fresh Take Hub, and I'm joined today by... David Oscar, I am editor over on freshtakehub.com and a content creator. Yeah, good stuff. I am excited to be back on here, Dave, after a week off. You had uh, the discussion last week with Niall, and unfortunately he couldn't be with us again. Like It was his idea to do this podcast, and yet he's never on it. Since <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's flown off to, to find the Bad Batch. That's what, that's what we discovered last <laughs> He's on. Last he's week. on the hunt for it. Yeah. <clears throat> on the hunt for them, just as a, a yeah. certain bounty hunter in this episode. <laughs> uh, right, so let's get into it. This is episode four out of 16 episodes. Dave, what are your sort of your overall thoughts of this episode? Did you like it, love it, struggle with it? I think, again, you know, I might say this a lot of times throughout our reviews, but I was going into it, I don't think I'm ever going to sort of like hate or dislike an episode because I, I think because it's a part of that kind of weekly fun adventure star wars animation and it's already something i'm very invested in because it's more of the clone wars era i'm invested in these characters and the storylines they're going along with whereas it's not as hard a sell as they had to have with the likes of rebels and resistance so i don't think while this is not something that i didn't enjoy at all i think it is still the weakest of the episodes so far for me um in terms of enjoyment but i still had fun with it there's still again loads to take away from it the visuals are absolutely gorgeous especially in terms of you know again this new location in terms of seeing uh pantora uh, which is uh, again you know great as a sort of callback to two clone wars as a planet that was referenced and talked about a lot there as we saw characters and you know george lucas himself as you know apparently originates from that planet but i think it's just because we didn't get as much of the flipping back and forth between the different storylines which i've really enjoyed in in the other episodes and while we didn't have that as much in Cut and Run, I think there there was still a level of urgency and just like a set goal. And there was a bit more because you had, you know, Cut there, you had a, a bit more of new characters. Whereas here, you only really had Fennec, which is a very mysterious kind of assassin type character. So it's, it's hard to sort of like make her really shine as epic as I think that that character is. So there was a lot of like moments that I really enjoyed in it. I thought it was great. I thought it added a lot of fun, a lot of like action sequences, a lot of like great visuals. But there just wasn't as many sort of standout moments for me. Um, and I just felt that the action towards the end just got a bit stilted. But I still enjoyed a lot of the visuals of it. Still enjoyed the story, how it's evolving to where we're leading in terms of you know Omega being this target, and you know I think the Fennec does come across really well in this episode but i just didn't think that we got anything wholly unique about this like we've had with the other episodes 
That's interesting to say, Dave. Very interesting. I I love the episode as well. For me, I'm finding it difficult to distinguish like between all the episodes and, and not in a bad way, in a sense of like, I don't know which ones I like more because I find in all of them, they're all doing different things and talking about different things that are intriguing me. And what I also really like about this show is that it's going back to like the Clone Wars roots of experimenting with different genres within Star Wars. So like, we you know, you had the first episode, which was, you know, Aftermath and it was post-war style of sort of episode you had the creature episode last week um, you had the sort of let's take a rest with cut and run and this episode is the sort of cd underworld bounty hunter you know dipping their toe into that and i really like that you know what i mean and also by in- bringing in fennec shand didn't think it was shoehorned in at all i thought it worked well i thought they brought him fantastically to the story unlike you i didn't miss crosshair in this episode i kind of liked the fact that we are sort of alternating between episodes. Like we might get one episode with, we'll see what Crosshair is doing, but the next episode, we're not going to see him. And I actually think having him in this episode for me personally would have been a hindrance because I was really enjoying this forward momentum with the batch and Omega. Like this episode was like, bam, bam, bam. We're just hitting all these notes and keep going. So I really liked it in that sense, like going back to the sort of serialized storytelling, uh, and Because it, it, it was really interesting to see where the show would go next from last episode because with each episode they haven't really done anything to say oh this is what we're going to do next but this one I feel is the first time that it left on the, not quite a cliffhanger but a sort of oh you know there's more story to be told here with certain characters and stuff like that and like even though it doesn't spend its time like setting up big things or talking about the larger story I think they managed to raise some questions about it and while also being another episode of the week. And again, I mean that in the best way possible. And I think there's a lot of payoff for the relationships that they set up in the previous episodes, like Hunter and Omega, that's getting stronger. The Rekka and Omega relationship as well, that sort of big brother relationship I'm loving. And I also really like that they are they are knowing when to use these characters. Like last week I said they knew that using Rekka too much could get a bit stale. And I feel as if they've worked that out with Tech as well. So Tech seems to have taken a bit of a backseat in this episode. While I really appreciate they're actually giving the time of Echo to give him more of an interesting story arc in this episode, which is what one of my small complaints for the series so far. So I'm glad they're utilizing Echo a bit more. But I'll say a bit more about Echo in a bit. Yeah, I also think that, like you, I you know I, I don't think that despite me saying it's all like maybe the weakest for me so far again it's only really out of the four episodes and i still think that like you said it's it's just a fun episode of the week it's something that i really enjoyed it gives you a lot of interest in new elements and designs etc uh but also it kind of harkened back to those days of clone wars in which again if you know if you were to have somebody put a gun to your head then you would sort of pick out you know your classic arcs and episodes like you know darth maul's return or the stuff on Umbara, etc. But there were still those nice, you know, episodes kind of like heroes on both sides or a friend in need with like Ahsoka and and Lux, etc. In which you would have like these fun, just singular adventures. And even within those episodes or other episodes, even some of the more bizarre bad ones, if you, you know, if you want to go that harsh, in which there was the one in which C-3PO and R2 go off and uh, Cad Bane kidnaps, you know, 3PO etc and all thereafter is some uh, fruit for that cake etc 
But I just got an element of that in this episode as well. Not in a bad way. I kind of was watching it like, oh, you know, we're going back to this traditional stuff of droid antics and all this kind of stuff in which you had like, you know, this odd uh, protocol droid. They're like, I'm in charge of these droids. You know, so again, they weren't playing it as like, oh, yeah, we'll just have this band of droids and they just have like this generic robotic voice as they would probably do in something like The Mandalorian was in animation. They're like, hey, let's make it this like teacher like female character and you know let's make all the little droids these individual little characters etc so that kind of stuff is fun to see it's nice but it's just ultimately when you're comparing things like epic kind of stuff i think that's just where it's just harder for you to to judge this on on the same level so i think it's more of a fun animated episode of the week but i know that we've got like some big stuff to come and we've had some epic stuff with the beginning as well and i also think just because it takes like a a break on like pushing the larger story forward. I still think there's plenty of in there that's a lot of character building, especially for Omega. I feel as if this whole episode is really Omega's arc and you know her understanding the dangers of the galaxy, you could say. And there's also and there's just more character progression with each member of the Bad Batch. And then you bring Fennec in there and you're adding another plot element to this story. And I don't think you bring a character like Fennec for like a one and done. And we'll talk about Fennec a, a bit later, I'm sure. But I think like they're just adding all these little story elements that, don't worry, this might not seem like it's big now, but it will do when we get to the finale or something like that. Just like they did with Mandalorian. Certain episodes, people are like, oh, I don't know about this. And then what happens, a few episodes or the season two, you get that payoff. You're like, I should have waited. I should have waited. I've just been patient. Uh, so, right, let's uh, kick off with the story then. Comchatter has our ship's signature on a wanted list. So we scramble it. You can do that? Of course I can do it. But I need to land in order to perform those modifications. By my calculations, the closest planet is... Pantora. Well, Pantora it is. Pantora it is. The Havoc Marauder, I just love the name of that ship, it's so cool. The, the Havoc Marauder is traveling through space as Hunter proposes that they go to Idaflor. Never heard of that planet. Have you ever heard of this planet before in Star Wars canon, Dave? No, it seemed, seemed like a new one when it they brought like it Seems like that's, that's what I thought as well. I had a look through Wikipedia and couldn't find anything, uh, which he thinks is a good place to hide. So Tech tells him that they are out of fuel and rations, and since they are no longer serving the Galactic Republic, they are on their own. Echo also warns them that the Marauder's signature is on the wanted list, so Tech proposes scrambling the, the ship's signature, which, as Tech replies, of course I can do it, but says that they need to land in order to perform those calculations and that the nearest world is Pantora. So, at this time as well, you know, Omega is... At this moment, she is very happy that they're about to explore a new world. But as soon as they said Pantora, the first thing that popped to my mind, I was like... Are they going to bring in George Lucas? <laughs> 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 but uh, no, they didn't. But in a way, I kind of like that. I like that we're exploring the same planets we've seen before, but not necessarily seeing characters that originate from there that we've met before. Uh, but Dave, what do you make of the whole little opening sequence and then the mention of going to Pantora? Yeah, I thought, you know, it again, it adds to the character of Omega that she's, you know, wanted to see, you know, the wider galaxy saying, you know, she's been stuck on Camino all her life so you know that there was that element which i think works quite well 
Um, she also really has like a really pouty child moment as well, which I think was quite fun in which she proper like put on a real, you know, pouty face when tech was kind of bringing it down back down to earth, which I think was a fun dynamic dynamic. And it'd be fun to see if, you know, that sort of expands the later we go on, because again, especially because she is a child, you know, and again, these are all very adult adults in which they're very, you know, sort of grisly, you know, older men kind of thing. So It'll be interesting to see how that develops, especially I, because the more I hear from Megas, more makes me think about what we were talking about before is the potentially she is maybe a clone who has aged up in the same way as maybe Boba. Um, because for her to say, you know, I've always been stuck on Camino, and just the way she talks about her life, it doesn't sound like she's kind of an accelerated clone. It doesn't sound like she's a shiny if, if you want to sort of put it that way because for them often sometimes the actual clone itself would often seem like a teenager or a child because they had obviously gone through this accelerated upbringing so i'm that that makes me think more that she's kind of gone through a normal kind of aging process so maybe she she has been there for years and then yeah like i said it was just great to hear you know pantora mentioned and it does make you then think oh what characters are we going to get you know are we going to see you know, the senator was it, uh, Senator Chuchi, um, and then, you know, Chair, Chairman Papanoida. I didn't, you know, I, I did Im- immediately think of that, but I, I was pretty sure we weren't going to get it. But I think it was better to avoid that because, you know, ultimately with, you know, Senator Chuchi, she often showed herself to be, I guess, on the side of what would later be the rebellion and, you know, like sort of opposed to some of the choices of the Republic. Um, or the war so I don't really know how that could have integrated here when you're in this world of the empire especially the people of Pantora seem to be well on board with it so you know it's how how would it work when your senators they're like yeah I'm not happy with this but everyone on the planet's like well you know you don't represent us then so that would be some interesting political commentary but not really the the place for for that in in this show so yeah i'm glad that they sort of avoided all of that stuff and, and like you said it just felt more real that you could kind of see these characters there you had the understanding of who they are but you don't need to be sort of like plastered it in your face like this is where we are these are who these people are these are the characters i like that they mixed in there's humans there there's different characters because of course you you know in a galaxy of different aliens and and species why would you ever go to a planet and only ever find one type of person? So I think that that makes sense as well. I was going to bring this up because I really like that they chose to go for this really big city urban environment that we really just associate with Coruscant. And, you know, with Coruscant, we expect it to be this like New York City. You know, you have all sorts of different cultures from people from different ethnic backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, so you would have all sorts, all sorts of different aliens. But whenever we went to other planets, it was always, oh, we only sort of got like the one species or something like that. So I really appreciate them going for this. You know, there's other like big metropolis cities out there other than Coruscant. And those, like the real world, are filled with all sorts of different characters and races and species and stuff like that. So I, I really appreciated them doing that. Yeah, well, it kind of lends itself to what the world is like, but also tells you a lot about the species and the characters, isn't it? Like the Kaminoans, you know, as we heard in Attack of the Clones, they keep themselves themselves. So it makes sense that you wouldn't see one of those just walking around everywhere and you don't see other species on their planet. Similar with like the Twi'leks, you know, they have sort of spread themselves out quite a lot. But usually when you go to their home planet, it's just them. Whereas it, it gives you a flavor for then what Pantora is as a place and who they are as a people. 
that they have more of a diverse kind of population and it's kind of maybe more of a hub for people to go to in terms of like how we would have in the UK or the US in terms of these like cities which are going to be more diverse whereas if you go to more remote places then they're going to be more certain types of people within that and we kind of seen that I suppose again in in Clone Wars that the Pantorans with uh, the chairman you know the the previous chairman was he, he was just like wanting to take over that moon etc so yeah that, that kind of tracks with that as well I guess. Uh, right so let's carry on as the Havoc Marauder reaches Pantora and descends through the clouds towards a large city surrounded by the valleys. Uh, as the Bad Batch descend down the gangplank, <laughs> Rekka grumbles about being hungry, <laughs> but Tech reminds him that their priority is to change the ship's signature. He's like, oh, why'd you have to mention rations? Now I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> they are greeted by a Sullustan who asks if they, if they are here for repairs. Tech replies that they just need a minor calibration and fuel. The Sullivan says he needs to scan the ship, but offers to skip the step for a bribe. Tech pays the manager some credits, after which he returns to his office, and he goes to his computer screen and files a report and tells an armored bounty hunter that he has sighted the ship. Uh, the bounty hunter summons a hologram of Omega and tells Raspa 6 to send her the coordinates and to not let the clones leave. So let's sort of stop here. As you know, the group arrive on Pantora. I really like Tech and Wrecker's struggles to bribe the Sullustan. There is a bit like, uh, what? What? I thought you said you were going to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is like the first time that the Bad Batch for me has truly maybe operated outside like official channels on like a major planet and stuff like that. And they're bad at it. They are so bad at it. And I love Wrecker's line as well. Like once he like gives him the credits and stuff, he's like, uh, oh, ha, we're getting hang of being this civilian stuff. And I'm like, well, if that includes getting ripped off by a lot everyone, then yes, you are getting the hang of <laughs> being a civilian. Uh, but Dave, what did you make of this? And, you know, with the Sullustan and them landing on Pantora? Yeah, well, again, it's, you know, it's a fun ad of the, the that species as well. You know, as much as I love Nine and Nub, you know, sorry, man, your species is like the ugliest, you know, aliens in the, <laughs> out there, you know, especially now proven by this, like, hey, who can we have this really kind of like sleazy, you know, <laughs> large space port handler, you know, like, oh, make him a Sullustan. It's just like, so even when you then immediately see him, you're like, oh, God, you know, what's this guy going to be like? He's got all the rings on his fingers and, you know, and, and, and even then when you see Wrecker and tech i think it was already clear enough from the beginning of this episode so i think whereas last week while we did have some like gorgeous shots of when we were seeing stuff in the dark and everything when they were when crosshair went to get saw Guerrero's camp but because everything was so dark and they were on that desolate moon there wasn't as much room for saw like really showy kind of animation Whereas this, I think the Pantora looks like really gorgeous. We've seen like similar environments before. I think in Clone Wars Season 7, we had that planet that Ahsoka and her two friends went to when they were delivering spice. That looked like really beautiful. And this has that similar vibe. You know, they're very much going for that sort of Middle Eastern kind of, you know, autumnal colors. And I think that that really works well. It, it really lends itself with its animation style and it looks really nice. And that really came through then when you had like the Sullustan, you know, that the fact he had all these rings on his fingers, he had this very sort of like blotchy skin. And when they were trying to bribe him, you could kind of just see the subtle 
expressions and changes of of body movements that when tech was giving him the credits and you know he's he's acting all clever and his eyebrows are raised and he's kind of got this you know uh, sort of smirk on his face is kind of like oh this this will do and you know and then you look at Rekka who's just like dumbfounded like oh is this gonna work and he's he's got that scar on his face which you can kind of see more in light so it really made me appreciate the the animation and the detail that they go into and how much it has evolved over the years which which just looks fantastic yeah a couple of things I wanted to mention about the animation was the use of lighting as well like within the city streets like those neon greens and blues and pinks that just pop out you know what i mean and i got a very cyberpunk type of aesthetic like used very minimally but it's there and like sort of the streets of like um like rundown tokyo and that sort of uh yeah side of things but i also really liked it's gonna sound weird and i don't because i'm not really exactly an animator or a filmmaker so i don't know the best way to describe it but like the use of backgrounds and how it was like the contrast when you're focused on one character like the animation that is just stellar, how it's just got that blur effect between the characters and the background and how it was used. Like most animation, it's sort of very like flat and, you know, like just one sort of page of something. Uh, while this has got like several layers to it, you can feel the depth of this world that they're in. And I just want I don't know exactly the technical term for it, but I, I think by nodding your head, you seem to know what I'm talking about, Dave. Yeah, it's kind of like almost like the pull focus of it, that they're pulling the focus towards like the foreground. And like you said, often within animation, they can treat it like a video game in which everything is in focus, whereas you can sort of like almost use different lenses to sort of like... So it, within animation, sometimes they can like try and use different lenses. Like they, a lot of people talked about this within recent years with Pixar, for example, like when they have in Toy Story 4, everything had to kind of look more detailed and dusty when they were in that antique shop so it's almost as if they use very specific virtual lenses to give that kind of miniaturized look and kind of dusty same effect as what you're talking about that everything in the background was kind of like glowy and dusty and blurred because you're seeing all the action within somewhere like a an antiques cabinet or something like that so it's it's almost as if they're using these better virtual lenses and maybe that has come from that collaboration with disney i think it stems back to the clone wars really because you know with the clone wars george i've seen like interviews with filoni saying that george was always saying we want to shoot this like a movie like not just an animated show and it is shot like a movie it's lit like a movie it's blocked like a movie so it does have that cinematic quality that you don't really see on animation so yeah i think it i think it does stem back to george ah that was easy. <clears throat> Aren't you, uh, forgetting something? Huh? You, you... You said you'd skip this step. I could. Right. If I had some incentive of the financial variety. I think he means credits. Back at Rose Station, Wrecker is unhappy about selling their ornaments. Like, he's saying, oh, we're selling away this bomb. But Hunter says that they need the money to buy food. Omega is curious about what's going on, but Hunter clarifies that this is a supply run only. We're not going to be sightseeing. We're going in and out quickly and quietly. And Echo adds that Rekka sticks out way too much. And when Rekka asks, what about Echo? He's like, the <laughs> Echo comes in and has donned a full body disguise that covers his face. So they then go off to get some money. And I do like Rekka's last line at the end again. Oi! 
bring back something good to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, he's the gift that keeps on giving, Wrecker. So, yeah, the Batch and Omega pass a column of stormtroopers marching while by civilians cheer. When Omega asks what the celebration is about, Hunter explains that they are celebrating the end of the Clone Wars. The clones also see an Imperial broadcast by Vice Admiral Rampart, the same one we saw in Episode 2. Omega asks whether the end of the war is a good thing, but Echo says it depends whose side they are on. Now, I really liked this scene, seeing this same propaganda message uh, that we that we saw in episode two, the influence of the empire and stuff like this. And when I saw this, and I see all the civilians cheering, this really made me think of that line that Padme says in Revenge of the Sith. So this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. Now it's one thing to have a Senate chamber full of senators to applause. It's one thing then to see the grand army of the clones who are controlled in some way to applause. I think it's another thing to see the citizens, the civilians applause and cheer for this oppression, this tyranny. I think that's at the point you know that they've lost the humans. They've lost all free will of how to live their lives. And paid particularly close attention to what Rampart was saying as well. He's like saying things like your currency has no more value now. And I'm like, you just stripped the value of these people in all sorts of currencies. And then I, it clicked to me. I'm thinking, this whole episode is about the value of things and life. Like we keep, you know, there's a, several stuff in there about, you know, the price of a bomb. And we get into the, the price of Echo and how he feels he should be valued. That really stood out to me. And then as well, when Rampart says, from the generosity of the empire. So I was thinking, so you've taken away their value but you're saying, oh, we're being generous by giving you the exchange of these imperial credits. It's just fantastic fascist propaganda stuff, and I, and I love it. And the fact that Echo also says, you know, depends which side you're on, could look like you've won this war. And from the Pantorans, it feels that the Empire is their savior, and that the Republic maybe, you know, was the evil person as well as the separatists because that we, I go back to the heroes on both sides episode in Clone Wars that you have so many different points of view and who actually is the heroes and the villains. Well, we all know that it's Sheevy Babes hiding in his tower up there controlling everything. But apart from that, it's all just, you know, him just pulling everyone's strings as he does, the puppet master. But what did you uh, think of, you know, seeing all this and then bringing back uh, Rampart in that uh, hollow recording? Yeah, I think that it worked really well to sort of emphasize that point that the galaxy is now on board with everything that is happening. And like you said, it, you know, it brings some strong parallels to real life, you know, going back to what me and now were talking about last week in terms of continuously bringing up uh, Nazism. But, you know, it, it's one of the key examples we have within humanity because obviously that party and that regime wouldn't have come about if people didn't support it because they felt that they were getting something that was benefiting them you know it came after years of the german government failing the people and so like you know their currency etc was worth you know like uh i can't remember exactly what the you know but they had several like financial crashes at that time and just like nothing was going very well within germany and their leaders weren't very well so the fact that 
then when the Nazis came along, they obviously see that as like, yeah, this is great. You know, we're finally getting things back to the way that they should be. So, and it's similar in many ways, you know, within the past few years, Trump and, you know, the conservatives within, you know, Britain, this, it's this idea of when conformity and, you know, a very neat and tidy and official way of tidying things up comes about, everyone's like, oh yeah, thank, thank goodness for that. But it's just a slow process in which people actually start to realize where their liberties and where their freedoms and where the injustices are happening within society. So it's great that you've got a character like Echo who can point that out because he's somebody who's not only witnessed and suffered the inequality of, you know, war, but also he is somebody who was a reg and can see how it has negatively affected him and his brothers. So I think that, you know, it, it works for that sense. So, you know, you don't watch it thinking, you know, oh, oh the Pantorans are evil or all those people are, you know, idiots, you know, for them, like you said, it's how, you know, Palpatine's plan has worked and he is offering them a safe and secure society, as he puts it. And, you know, everything that they're seeing only seems like a good thing. But it's just that those minor few who see the the painting on the wall, which will eventually grow and grow and grow until it becomes the rebellion and, you know, the galaxy realizes that what is actually happening. Fascinating stuff. I love stuff like this. It's just so good. Okay, so uh, we'll move on then as Omega is inspecting a device at a shop while Hunter is trying to sell an explosive for 1,800 credits to a merchant, but he's not having it. Now, Dave, you know what I'm like in Star Wars with my grizzled old weirdos, and I feel as if <laughs> this is the first episode in the Bad Batch where we it's just full of them. <laughs> like, this <laughs> is the part of the reason why I love spending a lot of time on Coruscant, because it's just full of them. And whenever you get a big city, urban, metropolis area, you're just bound to get them. First, we had, like, the Sulliston at the, at the port, now we've got this weird. Uh, the, is it the Gant? Grant? Gant species? Yeah, I was trying to think. I was trying to think what species. It I think is, it's actually. a Gant. They're pronounced. We got this other. He's got like the glasses on two of three of uh, two out of three of his eyes and stuff. So yeah, and then later we get uh, the Gotel, which I'll talk about in a minute. But there's just this yeah, episode, I was going to mention that. <laughs> it's just filled with grizzled old weirdos, and I love it so. <laughs> But it's also nice to see that difference of like they did with Krell. Of they were like, well, this, you know, not all of this species, like, you know, Dex Jester is going to be this big, greasy, large character, you know, in this show that they can be muscular and, and have a great physique. So here is quite similar is this quite often that grand species can be shown as like politicians and and very sort of like slim and uh, upright etc whereas here you know he's more like hunched over and you know with the like you said the monocle and stuff so it was a nice way of showing uh the different uh kinds of variations you can have on those species and those characters and yeah quite quite interesting not sure who voiced uh the the Again, but I just love the voice that they gave them. Like, yeah, this is not worth two thousand dollars. <laughs> just so funny. So yeah, uh, at this uh, sort of merchant stand, Omega shows Echo a doll that she's been looking at, and the merchant watches them keenly through his prosthetic eyes. And then he mistakes Echo for a droid. He proposes that Hunter sell him for two thousand credits. Echo, naturally, is not enthusiastic about the plan, but Hunter says that once they get the, the supplies, he will give him the signal to leave. 
Echo reluctantly complies but convinces Hunter to bid 4,000 credits. The merchant insists on 3,000. Echo then says, okay, while Omega takes an interest in some several young Vorpax in a box. Mm-hmm. She pats one of the Vorpax while, while it snatches her doll and then the craft carrying the Vorpax moves along and Omega, naturally as a child would do, runs after her doll and the creatures. Unknown to her, though, she is being watched by a masked female bounty hunter. Curious. Mm. So, first, I've got to mention the Vorpax here. <laughs> These things are just funny-looking things, and the reason why I love seeing them, like, I had a proper Leonardo DiCaprio moment when they came on, you know, the, the meme of him, like, pointing at the thing? Yeah. It's because they're from Star Wars Resistance, and there's a, later we'll see a droid, that's, that was also in Star Wars Resistance. And for me, it was like, that's nice. I like that they are embracing Star Wars Resistance within the Star Wars animated world. It just connects it that little bit more. And, you know, I feel as if people sleep on the show. Granted, yeah, it's definitely aimed towards a younger audience. But that doesn't mean there's, in, there's not any good stuff in there. There's some really fun stuff in there related to Star Wars. So... I like that that we got the Vorpex in here. It's just that connection. It's small, but I like it. Yeah, it's like when they always put those cats in there. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but the, the cats. The loath cats, yeah. Yeah, like they always show up. So again, it's sort of like added to those kind of traditional uh, urban animals, I guess, in a way, uh, that you would traditionally get in, you know, on Earth. You'd have, you know, cats, dogs, etc. So they're, they're putting those reflections also, well, first of all, like we said about the Sullustan, and unfortunately, those things are really ugly as well. When I saw them, <laughs> I was just kind of like, oh, like well, they look so weird. But I was really happy that I actually, in some ways, called Echo being the droid of the group, which in this episode, he is like mistaken as a droid. And literally, that is kind of his role within this episode. So I was like, oh, wow, I was actually right about that. You know, in, I didn't... In a, actually say oh i think he's going to become a droid and disguise himself as one but i previously was saying about like what's his role within the group etc and how star wars teams will often have the droid and then here comes this episode in which he's like i will disguise myself as a droid because i am a half droid essentially and uh, yeah i thought that that worked really well and and his design is really cool as well i love that outfit that he has it's very much like when you see obi-wan in disguise in the clone wars of bringing in these cool helmets and outfits that they bring on. So it, it's kind of like they're just drawing from those cool designs, almost a bit like, kind of like the Coruscant, like, police officers that you have on, like, the underground, you know, that they have those very, like, different-looking uh, police officers down there. So it, it kind of, like, give me give me those vibes as well. So, yeah, I was glad to see my droid uh, theory <laughs> come to fruition yeah i've got some thoughts on that in a bit but we'll talk about ek in a sec uh, as we get to his uh his peak moment in this episode i'd say mm-hmm. so um omega then pursues the vorpak craft and one of them spits out the doll as she goes to retrieve it she bumps into the to go gotal who tells her to be hey be careful <laughs> <laughs> love it man i just burst out laughing at that moment it's just I don't know. There's just something about it that was like, oh, that's just pure Star Wars style of humor right there. I love it. <laughs> it's just the fact that they bring these up so much within Star Wars animation that they always show up as the character that you bump into <laughs> or like, like is in a street situation. And it's just w- funny to me that they saw this creature and was just like, 
well, he obviously sounds like a goat, you know, like they didn't like, they weren't, there was no originality there. They were like, he sounds like a goat. He has like a, you know, a Billy Goat Gruff voice and I kind of have to love it, <laughs> but it just makes me laugh. But I don't know if I was a member of that species, if I would be offended by this representation. <laughs> they were like, hey, we don't all sound like that. <laughs> no, 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 you can't be serious. We need the credits. Once we get the supplies, I'll give you the signal and you can leave. Fine, but not at that price. I am worth more than 2,000. Right. Make it 4,000. Free! Deal. Omega then meets this un unmasked female bounty hunter now, who turns out, surprise, surprise, to be Fennec Shand. And Fennec Shand asks if she is all right and offers to help Omega find her friend. So before we go any further with this, Dave, uh, were you a fan of the Fennec Shan character in The Mandalorian? I wasn't in season one, but I really liked her in season two. I thought that they, season one, I thought she was a really bad example of just like, hey, let's just chuck a, you know, generic black outfit on a character and give her a sniper. And yeah, she's a bounty hunter. Whereas I think they made a lot more effort in season two to kind of go, hey, let's give her like her own look, which is really important with the bounty hunter. She has the orange, she has the helmet, she has the kind of tail ends to her coat. So I think that that has really meant that then within animation, you kind of look at her and go, oh, yeah, it's Fennec. Whereas, again, if she was just there in this kind of generic black outfit, if maybe even if she didn't have the kind of like orange, orange material and stuff in her hair. Um, so people, whether they would see that and know immediately that it is Fennec. So I think that that has worked like really well for the character and given her like her own individual look. And I think that she's just grown a lot as a character since that first season of Mandalorian in which she was kind of just a very generic like, oh, yeah, this actress, you know, has appeared in other Disney television. Let's just throw her in here. So it kind of felt like she was shoehorned in for me in season one, whereas I felt that she became a lot more of a fully fleshed out character and they use a lot more of the strengths of Mink Na Wen within Mando season two and and this episode and also we, we didn't get a chance to talk about it but the, uh, near the beginning when they call on Fennec to uh, the, the substance or like uh, contacts her we see her in a ship and her ship looks pretty awesome. Yeah, it does like, look pretty kind cool. Kind of gutted that we never get to see that again because it's like this kind of rocket ship. And I think it's, it shows, again, it's a really good way of bringing her in rather than it just being typical kind of like, oh, I'm here on this building. It's important to see that these bounty hunters didn't happen to be there already. And you get that awesome kind of like Boba, you know, she's there in the chair. She's turning around. She's playing with all the, like the gizmos and stuff. Her ship has got like orange on the wings etc you have all these big jet engines so i thought that that really added to the sort of grandeur of the character that she saw looked a lot more epic already from that and then seeing her here then you were like oh yeah she you know this is a badass character don't know how to say it any better than you did dave you you knocked it out the park the only thing i'll add to that is um um her theme her musical theme I don't, I don't know what Kevin, Ki Kevin kind of did there, but it's so subtle. It's either like some sort of synth or like a, a string instrument laid over it. It's so minimal, but yet it creates this sort of suspenseful tension of like, oh, this person's a badass. This person means business. This person is not to be trifled with. And I'll get into more in a bit as we get into the action moments. But for me, I 
think uh, the character Fennec Shan has now moved up in my estimation to she's worthy of buying an action figure now of. So for me, I'm like, yeah, like because she was totally badass and deserves to be up there on my wall with all the other cool bounty hunters that I've got. Yeah, well, exactly why you need to make these awesome designs and make them look individual because it's the action figure element of it, which is why Boba, etc., was so famous back in the day, wasn't it? Of kids collecting them, going, "Oh my god, look at this character! Look, you know, he looks so awesome as an action it's, figure." It's important, man. It's in the DNA of Star Wars. Some things just need to look cool. <laughs> I always think of uh, Aura Singh. You know, it's like she stood out just literally from standing there, like in the Phantom Menace. I was also, I was interested though, what you thought about her design in terms of the Clone Wars style. Because you often see characters with helmets and stuff. And here we've talked... I thought that it was really prevalent in this episode specifically. Because we're starting to see as well how they've got better at animating humans. As we've talked before that they sort of looked a bit dodgy when you had like Mandalorians, etc. With the weird chins and weird beards. I think me and Niall mentioned it last week. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I would look at, say, somebody like Anakin and go, oh, yeah, that's Hayden Christensen. You know, they always looked like they're very much individual sort of characters. So I think that if you looked at something like the Rebel style, then because they would have a kind of more rounded face, you'd be able to see Ming-Na Wen a bit more there, even though I'm not a fan of that animation style. You know, I think ultimately humans have more rounded faces so that they would ultimately at least look more like the person that they are trying to be so you know what What did you think of seeing her in the clone wars animation like i liked it because it sort of made her look like very cool very individual looked like a, a sort of standout character rather than looking like a background character and they've struggled with humans before but i wouldn't sort of say look at that immediately go oh she looks exactly like ming na wen it's kind of like anakin obi-wan etc it's like that's fennec in clone wars style not just this is fennec in the anime yeah um yeah, I agree with you. I don't think I don't. It never bothered me or anything. It didn't stand out. It never came to my mind of like, oh, how does she look in this? It was just she came in and she just felt part of that world to me. So, and for me though, it was actually Ming Na Wen's performance. Like, funnily enough, I think this has been her best performance as the character. And considering she's only doing a voice, not you know being live action. No disrespect to Ming Na Wen, you know, at all. She's a fantastic, uh, fantastic actress, and I love her to bits. But there's just something about how she was voicing her here that she really embodied the character. So when she walked on screen and started talking to Omega, I was like, yep, Fennec Shand, I'm in. Like, it, not phase at all in how she looked in the animation at all. Yeah, it felt natural to me. Right, so uh, let's carry on with the story then. So the Grand Trader sets Echo to work. Uh, supervising his droid crew, and then meets a female protocol droid who quickly realizes that he is not a droid. Uh, the protocol droid wants to report Echo, uh, but he raises a blaster at the droid, saying, you're not reporting me at all. Elsewhere, Hunter finds Omega's doll on a street corner. Omega walks with Fennec Shand, who asks if she is hungry. Shand walks into a trader carrying fruits, causing him her to trip and some of the fruits to drop. While they're helping the trader by picking up the fruits, Omega notices a weapon concealed under Fennec's tunic. While the two help themselves to the fruits, Omega also notices that she did not pay for the fruits. Shan replies that it is okay to sometimes break the rules. 
When Omega asks why she has a blaster, if she is, are, are you a soldier? Shan replies that the galaxy is a dangerous place to be in alone. And then Omega, with her lovely positive attitude, says that that's why I have my friends. <laughs> and then invites her to join uh, on the group. This is... She's just a, a dream, Omega. I just <laughs> absolutely love her. The naivety is so charming. Um, I keep what is the actress's name again? I keep forgetting. Michelle Ang. There we are. That she's she's absolutely killing it. And the way she says like, that's why I'm just here with my friends. I'm just like, yes, awesome. <laughs> I love it. So uh, Hunter soon finds them and tells Omega to step away from the woman. When Omega points out that the woman was helping her to look for him, she then puts on the helmet and stares down Hunter who reaches out for his knife. However, Shan fires first. Omega manages to break free of the woman who fights with Hunter. And this is what I call Hunter's knifing versus <laughs> Fennec's headbutting. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Hunter tells Omega to run away, but then he also manages to wrestle the blaster and the knife out of Shan's hand, but she headbutts him. And then just then the security officers arrive and prompting Shan to run away. So there's a whole lot going on here. I think, uh, Dave, what did you think of the encounter of Shand and Fennec? And also sort of uh, Fennec's bad influence on Omega, you know, sort of saying like, oh, it's okay to break the rules and steal and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it is almost like she is, they're adding, again, playing with genre, I suppose, in some ways and going down the traditional tropes of the bad influence character, as we see with many fantasy storylines especially when you have like a young child how they can be influenced it's kind of like you know in like some like hook or something which you know captain hooks there like you know I, i'll sort of be this character that you want me to be and i'll tell you you know what all the right and wrongs and sort of not tell you off etc so we you know we see that quite a lot within different media and how characters can be lured into the dark side if you will i guess it's kind of like in x-men with mystique in some ways you know of being drawn in by sort of magneto and torn between somebody like professor x so potentially whether that's lining up to something in the future or it's just added to fennec's character i think both are fine and i think they just adds a nice little element there and it's it's just great on hunter's part that you can immediately know that something's wrong and it just shows omega's naivety as well that she's seeing the best in everybody She's obviously scared a bit by the blaster, but, you know, Hunter's ultimately there to know the actual situation and what's going on. And I kind of was like, despite if Fennec is telling some hard truths, I was like, well, you still did steal from that person. <laughs> you know, I thought originally she was just going to buy her a piece of fruit or something that she was going to be like, oh, if I'm going to get this girl on my side, I should buy her some food. Like, no, she just steals from somebody. So I was like, okay, well, that's not the way to get her on your side. So that that, that wasn't maybe the, the best move. But yeah, I, th I think that ultimately it, it's added into that rivalry as we probably will talk about it as well later in terms of if Fennec is going to continue to chase on with them and showing the difference between a character like her and, and Hunter. Oh, she will. Trust me, Dave, she mm. will. <laughs> <laughs> that story's not over. Yeah, I think, like, I, I really like how all of these episodes are building off of each other really well. Like, Hunter and the rest of the batch were warned by Sue in, ch in episode two that children are always going to find trouble. It's just a fact of life. And it's not Omega's fault. Like, she clearly doesn't understand the dangers and the threats as they went into Pantora. But I do like that when she's with Fennec, 
She realizes on her own that something is off. She starts to ask questions. See, I don't think she's necessarily scared by seeing the blaster. I think it just makes her more curious, prompting her to start asking more questions. And the second that, you know, shots are fired between Hunter and Fennec, she springs into action and helps Hunter, you know, pulls her arm down. So she's not a fool. She's a smart kid. She's just inexperienced. So that, that's what I'm sort of getting with Omega. Like, I think she knows the difference between right and wrong. So it's more her curiosity of understanding the reasons why someone like Fennec might do the things that she does. So it's interesting stuff for me. Uh, meanwhile, then, Wrecker finally reaches the signature key. Tech says that, they will, that with a slight adjustment, they will be able to scramble their signature at will. Just then, Hunter contacts Tech, Wrecker, and Echo, warning them that he has lost Omega and that someone has attacked them who is highly trained and is after the kid. Tech decides to tap into the central security network in order to find Omega and the woman. Hunter warns Tech to get the ship ready, but Tech warns that they will need a team of maintenance droids. Funnily enough, Echo replies that he can help with that and enlists the astromech droids' help to feed the ship. So... I want to sort of talk about um, Echo here. And I, we, you sort of mentioned it earlier that, you know, you kind of predicted that he would be the droid sort of character of this sort of group. Now, while I think a lot of Echo's storyline in this episode anyway, I think a lot of it is played more for comedy. It's played for laughs. And I hope we get more focus on Echo. Like, his role within the team and his own, and his own identity, like, he didn't appreciate being mistaken for a droid. He didn't appreciate being sold, even if he knew it was temporary. Like, there's an element of value to himself. That he was like, well, if you're going to sell me, I'm worth more than 2,000 credits. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also think that there's a lot we could explore with Echo. He might still feel like an outsider to the batch. Like, he also might be struggling with who he is, because we talked about it in the first episode, more machine than man and all that sort of stuff. I just hope they put a bit more focus on him, because in this episode... When they did put the focus on him, I was very, very into it. And I hope that we get to see more and explore more what Echo's role is. And yeah, he, him being that sort of the droid character, but not just the droid character, that connection between the Bad Batch and droids. Now, we were saying that, well, normally in this group, you always have the techie guy who can do everything. But then I was sort of thinking, well, Echo has an advantage that tech doesn't have and that he, that he is part machine. He can plug directly into these, me, into these machines. He can talk to the droids as if they were their own species, do you know what I mean? So I think there's something there that is valuable to a group, a person who can directly talk to technology and droids rather than someone who is just seeing data and facts like tech does. Yeah, especially within Star Wars, because, you know, it's so technology-based. And I think it's in possibly, like, Ocean's 8 that they have that in terms of, like, you know, members of the team which have their certain purposes. And I think Rihanna's character plays this kind of, like, hacker. But even in that film, it's not like she's like, I can do everything in terms of technology. I'm going to turn the lights off. I'm going to do this. There's other characters who can do that who are more, like, experienced in having, I know, certain microphones or certain technology. But her thing is, like, hacking into the security system of whatever they're robbing etc so they do often have that differentiation between a hacker and somebody who's just tech technological but yeah that that you know so i i was happy to see that that continue in terms of the themes of you know who, who he is and and get 
him a bit more fleshed out rather than him just always being in the background kind of giving an objection so he's more integral to the plot here which again is just why i'm interested to see if we will get more from then say tech or wrecker which as we were saying earlier are being so sidelined purposely to not make them too cliche or stereotypical but will we then see them come to the forefront in a kind of natural way rather than a character of the week kind of element uh, i thought it worked quite well in this instance i wasn't this is where i had problems with the kind of staged element of it just the convenience of being like oh let's put you know echo with a bunch of droids oh yeah i have a bunch of droids and all that kind of stuff and then you know and then omega's up on the tower and so the positioning of everything yeah was a bit sort of clunky for me but yeah like i said something we'll get to as we get to this sort of so action sequence but what i did enjoy was again the sort of like visual aspects when say tech was watching that security footage i don't know there's something about that with the sound effects and the way that the it was all designed it just seemed really kind of old school star wars and very traditional kind of as we were talking about before like neo tech you know steampunk kind of sci-fi kind of stuff that that was all quite fun mm -hmm. omega oh there's one of my friends now omega step away from her why she was helping me look for you yes omega and i were getting to know each other uh, fennec shan is pursuing omega through the streets Tech hacks into the city surveillance system and tells the other clones that Omega went down into the maintenance tunnels um, along with Fennec Shand. So Omega flees through the tunnels but then collides with Wrecker to her delight. I just love this older brother, younger sister relationship. She has that embrace, he hugs, he's like, oh, I got you, kid, sort of thing. So I, I just love him. He's such a lovable doofus. So then Shand then closes in on him and then we get that awesome theme coming in, you know, just out the corner of the sh of as we move with the camera across Rekka's face and then you see her in the distance I just thought oh what a shot that's just awesome very like sort of western vibes like we're about to have a shootout Shan closes in on them Rekka tells Omega to climb up the ladder and he has a I'll take care of her while he take tries to take on Shan and Rekka lunges at Shan but she knocks him down causing him to hit a pipe which lets out a gas and Shan continues to pursue Omega while she reaches the top of a very high tower with no escape. Now, we were talking about this off air that, wow, Rekka got taken out pretty easily there. And I think that it's in support of both of these characters. Like, first of all, with Rekka, his sort of arrogance that he's like, oh, yeah, I can just take her. This won't be a problem. He's too full of himself. While <laughs> if you look at the animation in this section, when you get to Fennec's eyes, she points out the, po the pole that's there. You see, I saw this in my second view. She looks, she notices the pole, and she's probably thinking in that moment, how can I use this to my advantage? And she uses his momentum and strength to her advantage by just literally, literally just moving to the side and making him crash into the pole. And this is also the second episode in the row where Rekka has, has hit his head and he's going to have some severe head injuries. And like I said off air, I don't like that in the last episode he was touching his head that way. I was like, okay, let's not go down this route, please. <laughs> but then... We go back to the row station where Echo arrives back with the droids, tells them to get to work on the repulsors. We again go back to where Omega is as she stumbles on the top tower. She grabs a lech. Uh, Hunter's looking for her. 
Tech intercepts com chatter discussing reports of a child hanging from a tower. Can you imagine hearing that? <laughs> uh, it then conveys the message, the news to a shocked hunter who then steals a speeder bike. <laughs> I love that <laughs> the guy he stole it from. He literally just parked up, got off. Like I, I had like this head cannon in my in my head that. This guy was like, you know what? I'm just going to have a chilled evening. I'm going to stop by the store, get a couple of brewskis. You know, it's a quick stop. You know what I mean? Like, just quick in and yeah. out. Little did he know it was actually going to be a much longer night <laughs> as one of the hunters steals his speeder bike. <laughs> it's one of those where I don't need to park in the car park at Tesco. I can just kind of go in the taxi slot because I'm just running exactly. in Exactly. I'm just something. popping in and out. I'm just going <laughs> to grab my brewskis and nope, it's, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah shan then saves omega from falling off the tower but then spots hunter weaving through the skyway traffic to reach them she tells omega to tuck and roll when she lands before <laughs> dropping omega onto a hover trap below omega then raises a level which causes the truck's pickup bed to tilt and release its goods including the bounty hunter who loses her blaster and drops onto an airspeeder now before we get more into this whole uh chase scene I don't know about you, Dave, but I really enjoyed this uh, chase scene because when you said up top that I didn't feel as if the action was very entertaining. I loved this sort of sequence from them jumping onto different speeders and stuff and Fennec trying to shoot Hunter and stuff like that. I thought it was really thrilling, pulpy, serialized, fast-paced, moving adventure. And I also got really Attack of the Clones vibes like from that chase mm. scene in Coruscant when Obi-Wan jumps out the window and stuff like that. Because I noticed a lot of like the same sounds of like vroom, vroom, as they're all like zooming past. And I'm always a big chase scene fan, but there's just something about when you're doing it in like um, a city environment like Coruscant, or now we see the city in Pantora, it just adds extra stakes if there's like oncoming traffic and you're zooming in and out and stuff like that. I don't know, I just loved it, but you maybe didn't want on board with it as much. Yeah, like I, I enjoyed like elements of it. I liked when it was kind of they were on this kind of garbage truck thing and Omega when she pulls the lever and all the parcels and stuff like all of that was kind of fun. I liked, you know, when I get to it, but when Fenix or shoots a blaster and it goes through like the Pantoran police and stuff like that was quite so harsh. But I, I don't know, it just something about it seemed to me very familiar, kind of almost as if like in storyboard stage or just the way they played out. It seemed very similar to ones we've seen before. Like, I remember in Clone Wars, there was a similar scene in which Padme was, you know, they were trying to kill her or something, and she ends up stealing somebody's speeder bike, and she's racing around Coruscant. And there was, like, a bunch of chase scenes within in the Clone Wars, so I felt that there was elements of it which were just similar. And, yeah, maybe I'm just not as big a fan of, like, car chases and stuff. So I guess once I had seen it in Attack of the Clones, I kind of been there, done that, whereas I think, you know, what Star Wars does... Well, sometimes is the whole element of like, you know, the speeder chase through Endor where, you know, you got the trees and everything. So that makes it a very different kind of sequence. Whereas this to me, I just don't know how much variety and how much you can change things up and make it kind of interesting because it's just play by play. There's so many times in which they're like, right now, cut to the police, show the police like chasing after them, which is, again, very typical of like American films in which you know they zoom past and the police are there on the dirt on the side of the road and then they start chasing them, etc. So I, I guess I just wasn't as, as fussed on the, the, the cliches of that and there wasn't as much to mix it up. But to be fair, I, I still had fun with it. I thought it was very engaging. I think the kind of more staged and problematic elements for me were just more of the kind of bits before when she was on the, the tower 
and then you go into the sewage tunnels just for Wrecker to fail anyway, and then just for them to sort of like get out of it. And I was kind of like, what was the point in that? You know, so I, I kind of wish that Wrecker had a bit more of a heroic moment, just at least because we haven't really seen that much of him in terms of action this you know season. Because he did have some good moments in the original Clone Wars arc, where here he just keeps getting like knocked out and stuff every time. You know, even in the first episode, you know, he shot and and you were saying about like the head injuries. You know, me and Niall did say last week potentially whether there was a inhibitor chip element to why his head was hurting as well in in terms of that as well but maybe now he's hurting hurt his head on the other side that that's not helping but yeah I, I think the visuals and everything works great some of the the action moments are good um it's just some of it was just a bit too repetitive and kind of cliche for me mm. i see i see what you mean with Rekka, but i also see that if you're i see hunter's point of view that if you're trying to lay low <laughs> Rekka sticks out like a sore thumb <laughs> oh, yeah, and he's yeah. also very loud and brash so not the best person when you're sneaking about I think but no I see what you mean that you want a bit more uh, from uh, Rekka in the action sequences I'll tell you one thing my favorite <laughs> bit about this whole chase sequence is the Aqualish driver listening to music mm. on his headphones he's like dee, 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 dee. <laughs> yeah. as all of I'd... this is going on behind on the same truck <laughs> And again, I just appreciated that that was a different kind of Aqualish, that it wasn't kind of this big bulky guy. He kind of looked like a skinny teenager or something. I was like, oh, you know, it's nice to see a different kind of Aqualish rather than, I, I think we said in our Mando reviews of, you know, they were always the jerky characters that come in causing trouble. So, yes, again, nice, nice change of pace for them. So uh, as we get towards the end of this chase, Shand throws the driver out of the airspeeder and continues the hunt for Omega. Uh, Hunter flies to a hover track and reaches out to Omega. However, Fennec rams into him, causing him to swerve into the air. Hunter tears after Shand and Omega. He blasts at the hijack airspeeder's engines, causing them to explode. Hunter then, Hunter then catches Omega just as she loses her grip. Warning Omega they are not out of trouble yet. He reverses his speeder bike into Shand's, plants the detonator they were originally supposed to sell, which causes the speeder to explode, but Fennec Shan manages to jump out of time and to live to fight another day. And at this moment, we cut back to Rekka, who says, Oh, I'm missing out all the action! <laughs> <laughs> then we go back to the row station, where the protocol droid tells Echo that the diagnostic test indicates that the Havoc Marauder is now fully operational, Echo thanks the droids for their help and passes them back to CG67, who asserts her authority as the leader. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally we go, Hunter and Omega arrive back at the hangar. Rekka soon follows and the clones take off in the Marauder. As the engines fire up, the Sullivan manager <laughs> runs out and is unable to stop them from escaping. As he grumbles, I've been paid yet! <laughs> uh, and then in space... Hunter tells Omega that their opponent was a bounty hunter, but is unaware of her identity. Echo explains to, to Omega that a bounty hunter who is someone who hunts targets, while Tech adds that Omega is the target. Hunter then says they need to find out who the hunter is and who hired her. So, Dave, again, we were speaking about this off-air a bit. What do you make of Phoenix Shan's deal, like, do you think this is a bounty put out by the Empire? Could this be something to do with the Kaminoans? Because the reason I ask is that Fennec Shand is very specific that she's after Omega, right? 
but, but then in last week's episode, when Lama Su and Nala Se were having that conversation, to me anyway, it seems that Lama Su was not that bothered which of the enhanced clones they got back. They just needed one of them, at least. And they didn't seem, oh, we need to get Omega. Bring, Make sure she's back. She's the one. She's the one. There wasn't any of that. So I'm really intrigued to see what you think is going on with Fennec Shand and this bounty. Well, something I funny before we get to that, that I did make note of when we were talking about the speeder and how this entire chase ended was the character model that they use for the speeder that Fennec took it looked like the exact same guy who had his speeder bike stolen <laughs> so in my head i was kind of like is this just the same guy is he just like taking he was like god damn it, my speeder bike's been stolen oh i'll just uh get in my uh normal large speeder god sake <laughs> he gets stolen again i thought that uh, as well so i was like rough. this guy's having a rough night he only popped yeah, out exactly. to get a couple of drinks <laughs> <laughs> but yeah in terms of fennec i think that from everything I've seen, I can't see that there's anything that the Empire really wants from the Bad Batch. There's nothing that they have that is going to incriminate them or anything. You know, at the end of the day, there's loads of clones out there and there's loads of enemies of the Empire and survivors of Order 66, etc., which obviously they're dealing with in their own way. But I just can't see that they would really care about what the Bad Batch are going to sort of pose in terms of any sort of threat. Tarkin has crosshair. He ha- you know, they're forming their elite team and their new soldiers, their new army. So I think that the purpose there was to kind of test the Bad Batch, see what their worth was. Once they weren't of any worth, they, they didn't care what happened to them. So I think that this does seem very linked to the Kaminoans in terms of what they want. They did say that they, they wouldn't return easily. And I see the kind of Lama Su, Nala Se stuff as him seeing getting the asset back you need to get all of them back it's that kind of typical aspect that you see within a lot of film and television of when they need to grab these particular group of characters you need to take them all in because you can't just take one of them because you would not only face the backlash of all the other characters but sometimes the assassin or hunter or whoever doesn't know which one it is there's often that element of like oh you need to get the kid or something um or you need to get this certain character and they they grab the wrong one or something like that so i think that lama su would just see it as they all need to come back in order to get omega officially you can't just take her because then they'd be causing more problems for themselves so you'd need to capture them as a group and this may be nala say who seems to have been protecting omega more so maybe nala say knows more about omega than even lama su does maybe he knows that the bad batch or that genetic experiment within all of them has been very unique and very valuable but it's only Nala say that really knows the actual worth of Omega because she is the one who knows about the specifics of the the DNA about Django's DNA whereas Lama Su is only the prime minister he's just the the overseer of everything he doesn't know the exact minutiae of of the details so um so I, I, I see it as, yeah, I, I would imagine the Fennec is working for the Kaminoans. I think the Omega is the target because Nala Se seems very set on protecting her and wants her back. But maybe ultimately Lama Su would see it as like you need to get them all back in order to, to rescue her. But uh, uh, ultimately the bounty is going to be placed on Omega because she is the the one that Nala Se especially would want specifically. She is the one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm not too sure. I really am not too sure at the minute. Um, 
I don't know. I thought the Empire was kind of after them. Like, I, I kind of got the impression that Tarkin was like, we've got to make sure we get these guys at some point. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Mm. I, I, I think I, that's just our head. I think we're just sort of thinking that on our head because it so often happens. But when I was thinking back to it, I was like, there's never really anything that suggests that they need to go chasing after them. It's just the crosshair tried to stop them from leaving. But then after that, they were kind of like, right, you know, you go saw, saw Guerrero and all that kind of stuff. So there's never been a kind of empire talking about the bad batch ever since it's always been focused on the clones crosshair the stormtroopers all that kind of stuff yeah so the kaminoans is probably definitely the most likely option but i would also not be surprised if there was another uh person at play here you know what i mean interested party an interested party yes exactly Mm. so we'll see what happens there and then uh final scene of the episode is uh Fennec Shan confronts the Sullustan manager who tells her that he tried to stop them. She then throws him a cylinder, telling him to contact her if they return. Fennec Shan then walks away and removes her helmet. Speaking into her helmet, Shan says that the target got away but vows to find her. So again, sort of elaborating on what we just spoke about or who it could be. Like I said, it's very specific that she's after Omega And the way this episode ended for me, as I said, there seems to be way more story to be told here. And not sure if it's going to be next episode, but we're definitely going to be running running into Fennec Shand again. And we were talking about when we first started this show that Star Wars always does really good villains well. And we were thinking that Tarkin would probably play a role similar how he does in Rebels, that he pops up in the first couple of episodes, then leaves. That seems to be the case with the last episode that Rampart would be taking over that sort of imperial presence. But I also think you need another type of villain, a secondary antagonist. And I hope that Fennec Shand is that secondary antagonist that's uh, sort of on their tails throughout this sort of series. We've obviously got Crosshair as well, but that is going to lead to some form of redemption story, I'm sure. So there needs to be that other sort of bad person that this person is bad to the bone and there is no redemption there to them but but what do you think of that similar to in the mandalorian i guess is that idea of like they're always being chased pursued and i guess there's apart from gideon then there's never saw like this one overall villain so maybe there isn't just going to be like this is the big bad of the season etc they'll come across a lot of different foes throughout because as we've seen in the trailers etc it looks like at some point they're going to come across Cygerians and stuff like that as well so I think that there might be a few different villain factions a few different foes that they come across throughout this so I'm not sure if I would necessarily want Fennec to just keep coming back is like oh I'm constantly those damn you know Clone Force 99 go away from me again you know I think that like you said it would be good yeah that she is chasing after them um similar to in the Mandalorian that she is aware of them and then she'll show up again later on kind of how Boba sort of pursues Mando and I could maybe even see Fennec coming into the fold a bit in terms of you know if crosshairs go into the you know from what we've seen of Fennec she wouldn't be completely devoid of all morals maybe they are saying you know this is a younger fennec she's different but i could see her sort of coming on board because ultimately that seems a very star wars thing to do is the kind of the empire is the villain and we all now need to unify against this greater enemy so i could see that that being a thing because event you know ultimately as much as bounty hunters can often be the villains 
they do play that middle role because they're in it, you know, as Cad Bane says, you know, like, I'll, I'll take any job for the right price, you know, so they can, you know, they're just sort of motivated by money. But because they're in that kind of middle ground, then they can flip between either side. And usually when it comes to the kind of little guy, I guess bounty hunters would sort of more side with them because they feel that they are the, the little guys in, in the galaxy in that way, that they're not part of this grand you know, empire or this big force. So I could see that that would become an element as well. And it's kind of interesting. You've got kind of two snipers on their tails and then the, maybe the two snipers sort of come on board towards the end. But yeah, I, I, I don't know about this idea of maybe Rampart being the overall villain, Tarkin being the overall villain, Fennec. But I do think, like you said, that goes back to what we talked about all the way at the start of the episode is that I don't think we necessarily, I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to go back to Crosshair because I agree with you. I think that it's good to sort of give that storyline in segments and in parts. So I didn't feel that here I missed the B storyline in terms of, oh, what's Crosshair doing and what's Tarkin doing? It wasn't so much that. I think it's just that I just wanted some form of B storyline. So whether we have another faction that we can look at. So say in the future, if we were flipping between Fennec chasing after them or something like that, I think that that just helps the overall story. But it might be just that this might this format might work that one week we just completely focus on them the next week we saw cut back and forth a bit next week focus on them again that might work but it's just um so again used to that i suppose but i think that you don't want to always just be the b storyline is the empire and stuff it would be nice like you said to bring in another another faction or another character that's what i think i think this episode in effect brought in a c story you could say maybe like um yeah but in conjunction with like the b storyline so it they sort of give yeah. an equal amount of screen time and stuff like that she has to be a bounty hunter a what someone hired to retrieve targets and you appear to be the target me hey don't scare the kid we have to find out who she is and who hired her Another thing I'd like to mention before we finish off here, Dave, is that, um, you know, we were sort of talking about earlier how, like, Fennec Shand is playing, like, the the other voice in Omega's ear. Like, oh, you know, you can break the rules, this sort of thing, and that's a bad influence for her. Well, considering that, I think it was a really good contrast to what the Bad Batch were doing, because there were quite a few times in this episode that our heroes were not painted at heroically at all, like... They scammed the merchant out of 3,000 credits, effectively, because <laughs> Echo just leaves, you know what I mean? But then you compare that to Shand, who also takes advantage of the trader, you know, with the, with the fruit and stuff like that. But then later, Hunter steals a speeder bike from a random citizen. And we also see, you know, Fennec Shand assault and take the speeder off from the other guy. Possibly the same person, I don't know. <laughs> so it's a really good contrast that the bad, the bad Batch is contrasted by the Bounty Hunter, who is obviously Fennec Shan is clearly worse than they are, but still, you know, they're robbing people. Uh, they are robbing people to get what they want. And I don't fully blame them again. There is a sense of naivety to them, to the real world and how the real world operates. They're used to having free reign to complete the missions, no matter the cost. But the war is over. And I remember saying at the beginning, in our sort of Bad Batch recap, that this was an element of the storyline that I would like to see a lot of, like how do soldiers live with themselves when there is no more war to fight? 
And you can clearly see that these guys are not doing well at all. The stuff with like the bribing and, and stealing stuff and all that. So they don't really know how to operate in the real world. And I just really like seeing them having to learn like within the gray areas of life. Like they're off the grid hiding from an evil empire. But that doesn't mean you can get away with stealing whatever you like. And I also think I'm seeing this tie back to what Saul Guerrero said in the first episode about, you know, adapting to survive. Like I said, with episode two, they're tying like what uh, Sue said about children getting into trouble. Here we go again about, you know, tying what Saul said about adapting to, su to survive as well. So I really like that they're having fun with all these different characters trying to operate in this world that they don't know how to operate in. They think they know. And like people like Hunter, they think they know what's best for Omega, but do they really know how to operate in this world when there's not a war going on? Well, it's just classic Star Wars as well, isn't it? They're very much that like we are in a ship, we are on the run in some way or form, we're after something, we're on a mission, we kind of don't know where we're going one stage to the next. And I think that that's where Disney in the past has made those sort of mistakes or made certain elements of their adaptations not feel like classic star wars because rebels for example when it was like so based on lethal it just seemed odd because star wars never centers itself on like one location and here it's very much adding to even though we have the jedi who are kind of the keepers of peace and you know the the moral good but as we see they are never perfect they have a lot of flaws to them so a lot of the factions and characters within Star Wars are always filled with flaws and in a grey area. I guess in terms of a script writing kind of look at it, they do make it morally acceptable for what the characters do because, yes, Hunter is stealing a speeder bike, but he's doing it to save the ch life of a child. So on, you know, the the scale of things, you know, he, he's done the lesser of, you know, two evils. But also that... Celestin was scamming them and was secretly ratting them out etc so again in terms of like if Disney raised questions about it then the writers can just be like hey this guy was a bad bad guy and stuff so they can say okay well yeah it's fine just scam him because he was a bad guy you know so the merchant wasn't a bad guy though like he was kind of dodgy but really he didn't do anything <laughs> wrong to, to be scammed no. 3,000 credits and yeah, lose all that, his droids <laughs> that was just that was robbery right there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> apart from maybe just some form of racism towards droids in terms of assuming that uh, <laughs> echo was just full droid maybe that was the the moral there uh, it kind of reminded me again of that episode i mentioned earlier of clone wars uh, friends in need in which r2 gathered together all those droids and they had some sort of droid uprising <laughs> it was a bit like that it was you felt that at least he was morally in the right in some way because this guy was getting these droids to do his dirty work and kept kept them locked in a, a container so there was some form of kind of uh, sinister nature there but yeah ultimately the he was he was uh, robbed uh, but yeah that's why i do just love about star wars though is that there's never this kind of like oh my god they did this or like that's not right or how can they do that it's you know these characters are finding themselves in this galaxy which is often you know referred to as you know full of scum and villainy nobody is ever saw like within like perfect right 
or wrong because it's not a real world as well. We don't watch any of it and go like, you wouldn't get away with that. How did this happen? You know, Star Wars very clearly has a very, very bad police system, yeah, yeah. like authority system. <laughs> um, and I guess that kind of adds to the morals of the, the galaxy in a way, is that the morals of the, the Star Wars universe aren't very clear cut. It's not like our real world in which you were like, you couldn't do that in real life. You can't do that. That's really horrible to do that. It's we're in this universe in which like the morals are a lot more shady. And that's why we see so many shady characters and why we enjoy characters like Mando, who essentially, yeah, is a killer, you know, who is an, yeah. an no assassin. No problem killing people. <laughs> yeah. But yet we are following this character as our main character. We are following the Bad Batch, who, again, you know, are soldiers, you know, have done a lot of wrong things. So we've never really within Star Wars, apart from maybe, you know, Luke Skywalker or something, gone, yep, yeah, here is our archetypal Superman, very clean-cut character it's always these kind of very gray murky characters which makes them very interesting and very fun and i think that that's why people keep coming back to the the bounty hunters the mandalorians all that kind of stuff so yeah the bad batch sort of really fit within the star wars universe in that sense well dave i would say not even luke skywalker after the last jedi he's well, incredibly no, exactly. flawed incredibly uh, flawed, i'm so. just thinking of a new hope luke oh, <laughs> but yeah but even Kenobi, you know, the poster child for the Jedi. Guy likes to lie. <laughs> he lies a lot. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, so. No, I, I don't think there is, you know, a clear example. You know, again, Han Solo, a scoundrel, you know. So I don't think there ever is. When you think of your kind of, you know, hero type character, Luke is the only one which comes, which again, without getting into some, you know, debates here, you know, that's why a lot of people had problems with The Last Jedi because they say that Luke should be this sort of beacon of hope and everything like that. But... Regardless, every other character within the universe is kind of murky in that way, apart from maybe Leia or somebody like Rey, but they're very few and far between. So Yeah, I'd probably say Leia is like the most like steadfast character. But anyway, we're digressing here. Mm. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. Right, so um, final thoughts, Dave, and do you have sort of any expectations of where we're going to go next episode? not any expectations i just assume that the wreck stuff is coming very soon but we'll have to see uh, i kind of think that we're getting more towards this kind of stuff of where the bad batch are going to be maybe have to get recruited in something or earn some money so maybe they'll turn to the more so criminal side of things um, and we might see some more cd underbelly of uh, scum and villainy in that sense no idea in terms of what we're getting with the Kaminoans, Crosshair, or the Empire. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. And it's fun that we don't know where that's going. And yeah, ultimately, I think it's just, it'll be interesting to just continue to see Omega develop. And yeah, this, you know, this was a very fun episode. Like I said, the animation was really stellar this week. Added a lot of vibrancy, a lot of laughs. Just would like to have seen a bit more credit given to maybe a character like Wrecker, Maybe we just need some sort of big action coming up. But we'll see where things go. But ultimately, still a fun time. Great seeing Fennec within this. And uh, I don't know if you saw this as well, but apparently I think Kevin kind of has said that we are going to a very emotional finale with this series as well in terms of when he was making the music. So that is very interesting as well to see how things are now building up potentially to a sort of heartbreaking finish. God, don't do that to me, Dave. I can't handle mm. that. Not Omega, <laughs> not Omega. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we are going to be leading up to some 
big, spectacular, like Star Wars, like final act of the final movie in the third in the trilogy sort of thing. Like it's gonna be all out, yeah. And yeah, I don't know for expectation. I don't really have expectations. The only kind of thing to like change things up a bit is that this planet that they're interested in, I Ida Floor. Mm. Um, I kind of hope that they spend some time there, like. Like we were sort of discussing, I don't want it this show to be too repetitive to what we see in Mando with like sort of always on the run sort of thing. So there, for me, I kind of want them to like maybe go to whatever planet they're going to go to and just spend a couple of episodes there, like maybe quieter, more character development pieces, um, while obviously cross cutting, <laughs> cross cutting with Crosshair and seeing what he's doing. So. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. I don't want the constant, oh, we're on the run, we're on the run, we're on the run. I want some time to like, let's just take a break, spend some time, you know, chilling and all that and reevaluating what's happening and what we're going to do. So that that's sort of where I am with this. You want a sunny day in the void episode like Star Wars with it, just <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the desert, just <laughs> chilling. Uh, just, uh, I feel like Maul looking for Kenobi in the desert. <laughs> Kenobi! <laughs> <laughs> All right then, Dave. So uh, let's get out of here. As always, we'll we'll be back next week with episode five. But before we get out of here, Dave, where can the people find you and what you're getting up to? Uh, you can catch me over on Twitter at David Osgar, O-S-G-A-R. Uh, you can also catch me on Letterboxd, uh, the same, at David Osgar. Uh, hopefully got some uh, articles that I'm working on coming up on Fresh Take very soon. Uh, I've talked a lot about how I've been watching through the Godzilla films, so I'm working on creating something in regards to the madness that I've had to endure watching those, and I'm hoping to write something about, you know, going back to the cinema and having films. Essentially, you know, film fans have been sort of without cinema for a year, so I'm hoping to, to have something uh, like that go up on the site, as well as continuing to work on my next video essay project. So, yeah, keep your eyes out for that. Best place to see it is... Uh, on Twitter. Great stuff, yes. Plenty of exciting stuff coming down the line from Dave. Uh, and as for myself, you can find me on Twitter as well, at Sweaty Jake, where I'm always po posting stuff about comic books or Star Wars or any other fun stuff. And if you want to get my thoughts on certain films, like you can check me out on Letterboxd. That's at Jake Hart, H-A-R-T. The show as well, you can find us uh, on freshtakehub.com slash themondaylorians, where you can catch all our episodes. And whether you use Anchor, Spotify, Rapper Podcasts, please subscribe to us, follow to follow us. And if you're on Apple, just leave us a rating and a review as it all helps us go up in the ranking. So uh, we'll see you all next week, guys. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.